Welcome to Hastings Outdoors, your podcast for hunting, fishing, conservation, and more. Straight from the Mississippi Flyway to your hearts. Let's go! All right, round two of Hastings Outdoors. Um, If you listen to the first podcast, thank you. Um, If you haven't, hey, it's there. It's available if you want to. Uh, the first podcast was really just me cutting my teeth and uh, just for like, I mean, just a trial uh, of getting my sound or my voice, the air and vibrations that come out of my mouth hole on recording and breaking the ice of podcasting, if you will. So a little rocky, a little rough, but moving forward, uh, this episode... I wanted to um, kind of set the tone for the podcast, and it, it's not a permanent thing. Everything, I think most things in life should be flexible to an extent. You have to always improvise, adapt, and overcome. Uh, that's just life. Uh, if you're not, if you're too rigid, then, you know, well, you'll break. If you're too flexible, then you can't stand up to anything. So you have to find that middle ground of excuse me middle ground of flexibility and adaptability to uh, survive and to keep learning growing and improving and withstand what comes your way so in this episode i want to really discuss and talk about rant maybe of what led me to start this podcast in the first place um like I said in the last one, I thought about a podcast for years. Uh, actually, the microphone I'm using, uh, I don't even remember when I bought it. I bought it many years ago. Um, it still works, so hey, that's cool. I'm using it. But uh, really what uh, spurred my interest or piqued my interest uh, uh, to start this podcast was waterfowl hunting. Um, as I mentioned briefly in the other podcast that I recently... And by recently, I mean last season, started waterfowl hunting for the first time. And I also had mentioned that I lost my deer hunting property. And uh, fall was approaching. It was late summer. And I wanted, I, I love hunting. I love being in the outdoors. I love the pursuit of game. I love the preparation, the discipline, the dedication, the, the discipline or art, if you will, of pursuing wild game. And I found myself without, uh, without the ability to hunt whitetail deer. And that's something I'd, I'd done for, oh, at least a decade. And I, it, I wasn't heartbroken about losing it, but I, I was, it was just so new and different to not be able to really do that like I was accustomed to. Now there's always public opportunities, but that's just, uh, I don't know, I just don't feel nothing against, you know, public property. I'm not a, a property snob by any means, but I just don't, I don't feel the, the drive or the urge to really partake in that yet. Um, maybe someday, but I don't know. So it, 
out of nowhere, it seemed to dawn on me that, hey, what about waterfowl hunting? You know, I'm, I'm having this dialogue in my head and I'm like, you know, I never, never done it before. Never really knew anyone who had, you know, had or did waterfowl hunt or does waterfowl hunt. And I'd always been kind of interested in it, but the season overlaps the season in Indiana for whitetail deer hunting. And since I had that available to me, my, I guess, simplistic reasoning for deer hunting primarily was, well, the quantity of meat. Um, and that may seem, I don't know, you make your own decisions on that, but that's, that's kind of the mindset I had for years. It was, I can go shoot a deer and have a lot of meat in the freezer. And I love venison. I do, uh, I do miss hunting deer, but that's not off the table completely. It's just, it, it just hasn't fallen into place yet. Um, it's still on the list of things I enjoy, love, and want to do, but, uh, it's not, uh, it's not available to me yet. And I'm still working on trying to find a decent property or a decent, uh, lease maybe if I can afford it and, uh, find ways I can, you know, hunt deer again. But until then, you know, it's kind of a, an afterthought. And, uh, so I was, I was thinking about what am I going to do this fall? It was the first fall I was facing without any kind of hunting really on the, on the docket for, like I said, a, a decade or more. And it was, it wasn't really concerning. I wasn't brokenhearted. Uh, I, I really just didn't know what to do with myself and I like to stay busy. I like to be outdoors and boom, waterfowl hunting just kind of fell out of nowhere it, it it just kind of popped in my head and then I saw some YouTube videos and I'm like you know what that sounds that sounds really fun that seems like something I could probably get into you know it combines two of my favorite things for the outdoors water and hunting and the idea of that was enough to kind of jumpstart this adventure into hunting at least waterfowl hunting, I should say. And so I uh, started doing research. I started looking up how to do it, uh, where to go, what do you need, just trying to get the general lay of the land on what it takes or what it, what you need to kind of do it. Uh, I spent a lot of time on YouTube uh, a lot of time on the internet, uh, just trying to research, listening to a lot of podcasts, um, just trying to absorb as much information as humanly possible. Because um, I, this is just my personality, but when I find something intriguing to me or something that really piques my interest or something I'm wanting to learn about, I just I dive in headfirst. Uh, I try to get as much information as I can, learn as quick as I can, and and try to just really hit the ground running as best I can. And I tend to, um, a little bit of my personality, I tend to obsess over certain things, uh, not to the point of sacrificing family time or you know trying to maintain that balance, not 
not overly aversing like uh, an addict addiction or an addict almost. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I really just like, like I said, I dove in headfirst trying to learn what I could and, and just really immerse myself in this world of waterfowl hunting, duck hunting, this new, new adventure for me. And so I, uh, I found a lot of podcasts and YouTube channels. And, uh, I even found like, uh, on the Mossy Oak Go mobile app, you can watch, uh, it's a, it's a great resource. If you're looking for videos and stuff, they, um, it's, I, I believe it's still free. Uh, you can watch everything they've pretty much produced from whitetail, turkey, um, all kinds of stuff. There's some duck hunting on there too. I watch a lot of that. And if you haven't checked that out and you like watching hunting shows, I, I strongly encourage you to check it out. And no, I'm not, I'm not getting any kind of uh, pay or anything for that. This is just uh, me promoting it a little bit. It's, you know, not everything on there is my cup of tea. It doesn't have to be. But if you enjoy watching hunting, uh, it's free. It's an app and it's free. So check it out. It's worth it. Um, but I I started watching a lot on YouTube trying to learn. Um, I watched uh, you know, a lot of uh, Bobby Guy. I watched a lot of uh, um, Duck Gun Chronicles. Listened to the Duck Gun podcast. Um a lot of that stuff. Oh my goodness. There was a guy, I can't remember his name or his channel. Oh my goodness. It's going to drive me nuts. Um, oh my goodness. But I did, I watched a lot of his videos on calls, types of calls, when to use them. Pardon me. I've got like a hiccup thing going on right now. Uh, and all kinds of stuff for calls and, and, and really patterning shock. I mean, he has, oh, geez, I wish I could remember this dude's name. Um, um, oh, the YouTube channel is surviving duck season. I, I believe that's it. There's a lot of informational videos on there. If you're looking for that kind of thing. And so I, I watched a lot of his videos, a lot of Bobby guy, a lot, a lot of, you know, all the other guys. And I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. I started reading a lot you get the gist. I was seeking as much information as possible. And so once I started gathering information and, and, and learning about it, I started, uh, I really kind of just fell in love with it. And, um, that's when I started. Okay. Now I'm looking for like a boat. I'm looking for, uh, decoys. I'm looking for the stuff I, I think I need for hunting and season is quickly approaching and I I'm scouring the internet, hitting up marketplace. And I find this, this boat for sale and it, it seemed reasonably priced for what it was. It was a handmade homemade glass over wood. So wood, wood framed out, wood built boat with fiberglass over it had a little bit of a, a camo paint to it. Um, not much in the way of like a blind had a, I think it was a 212 CC predator long tail mud motor 
and nothing fancy came with the trailer and uh it was now looking back with a little more knowledge it was basically a, a oversized sneak boat and um so i bought it i think i paid thirteen hundred dollars for it um then i got it home got it all cleaned out kind of inspected to see what was there I'm, re I'm relatively familiar with boats. I've been fishing for uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, my dad's had boats that he's worked on. I've I've been out there watching, trying to figure stuff out, you know, trying to help and whatnot. And I've had boats of my own, you know, that I've worked on, added to, put, you know, decks in, re- revamp boats all kinds of stuff over the years and so the watercraft itself wasn't a learning curve but the watercraft with the intent of duck hunting was and so i did some more research and i learned how to i i figured out how to kind of do a blind and kind of created my own you know almost like a oh it's a folding blind for a boat um I made out of conduit with some uh, like a dark green canvas tarp beneath it for the backing. And then I put uh, camo netting over it and I grassed it all out and all that kind of stuff. And, <clears throat> you know, made a, made a blind on this boat and I put a little trolling motor on the back of it. Just a Minkota tiller steer trolling motor that I picked up at Walmart for setting decoys because a long tail mud motor, the out of my experience a long tail mud motor should not be your only means of propulsion if you're hunting solo and if you're trying to set decoys that's one thing i learned for sure because <laughs> holy crap that's that was my first experience with a mud motor first experience with a long tail mud motor and oh my goodness that was crazy trying to I, I think i tried it one time to set decoys pick up decoys all that kind of stuff just using that means of propulsion and holy cow oh that's such a pain in the butt so i picked up that trolling motor and i learned a little thing little things along the way with that boat and uh it it kind of it, it started to come together i picked up a um as far as shotgun goes, I did not have a semi-automatic shotgun. I the the only shotguns I think I had at the time was a, a cheap Stevens uh, twenty gauge Stevens Savage twenty gauge shotgun. Um, forgive me, I don't remember the model, but uh, it was a pump action, and then I had a pump action that I got from my late grandfather um, that I absolutely was not going to take out into the swamp into the marsh and just beat the tar out of it, it. To me, that's not a workhorse. That's an heirloom. And, um, Lord willing, if I'm fortunate enough, I can pass that on to a grandchild someday. Um, so that those two shotguns, not ideal. I could have used the pump 20, but still like, yeah, come on. You know, it's like, yeah, I tried it. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I could have used it. It could have worked. Um, I'm, I'm pretty handy with a shotgun. It's not like I was cutting my teeth on shotguns and hunting and all that stuff in general. I've got a little bit of experience with various firearms and hunting. 
in the field and all that stuff under my belt. And uh, I, I could have made it work, but um, I, I just didn't feel as confident. And so I started shopping around for, <clears throat> excuse me, what I would consider an affordable semi-automatic shotgun for waterfowl. So um, I was shopping around and I, I, <laughs> I ran into, uh, I was at Walmart for some reason. And uh, in their little gun area, which is, boy, that's kind of a kind of a shame nowadays because they they're really limited on what they're selling. Um, I don't know the politics behind it or anything like that, but uh, they used to have a lot more. Now they don't. And um, I shoot, I think I was looking for something for the boat or something, but I ended up passing the little shotgun section there and saw this semi-auto there, and it was. I don't remember the brand. So I'm not even going to take a stab at it, but I do remember it was under $300, which most semi-automatic shotguns under $300 aren't that great. Um, and really most shotguns under $300 aren't that great. And I, I had no intentions of purchasing this, this shotgun, but I, uh, I asked the uh, store associate if I could, you know, take a look at it. And, uh, holy cow, that thing was rough. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who it was built for other than someone who just wants to buy something. The, uh, it, it wasn't camo. It was just a blued barrel, blued, uh, receiver action. And, uh, the furniture on it was, it was wood. I couldn't tell you what kind it was. Um, but the the finish of the gun not the bluing itself but the finish as far as how the foregrip butts up to the receiver how the the butt of the gun butts up to the receiver i mean just the the little details that you know it it really doesn't take a lot to make it look better um in my opinion i'm not a gun manufacturer so maybe i'm just clueless but i feel like just a little bit more effort in certain areas can make this gun look better at least because where where the uh the foregrip met the receiver i think on the one side there was almost an eighth inch of overhang and then on the other side there was it was like i can't remember if it was if it was if the receiver was sticking out or if the stock was on that side but the it wasn't flush by any means you could definitely feel there's a noticeable chunk of material that is not not made it up properly and the finish on it it just the wood finish i should say it just felt rough i mean it felt rough and i was like good lord like i'm no expert and i'm not a gun gun snob by any means but that thing was just oh it just no i you know what if you if you're going to buy one just to beat the crap out of shoot around shoot some clays maybe i don't know might work out great or who knows it could have been a fantastic gun i don't know but it just based off the way it looked based off the way it felt it just it, oh no i couldn't do it couldn't justify spending any money on that thing let alone the 200 and some dollars they were asking for it so i kept searching kept looking i looked into stoger um i don't remember much about that i i you know i look at reviews look at youtube videos stuff like that and then I came across this uh, Charles Daly. I want to say, oh boy, I don't remember the model. 
Um, but it was a semi-auto, three-inch chamber, um, gas-operated, and it was around the $300 mark, somewhere around there, maybe a little more. I'm not, I, three to $400, give or take. And I ended up, I saw some reviews. Some people said it was okay. Some people said, you know, it's not great. And I try to, I tried to get as much different perspective on things like that as I can when I don't have any information because nothing against the, these type of people, but there's some people out there that if it's not a Benelli, if it's not a Browning, if it's not this super expensive gun, it's just garbage. It's trash. Don't even waste your money on it. Blah, blah. You know, they're just really negative. And, um, there's nothing against those brands. There's, I have nothing against, you know, high dollar guns other than I'm too cheap and it's not in my budget to just go out and blow money on one. That's just me. I'm a working class dude. I've got a family. I work a job. I don't have sponsorships. I don't have anyone throwing any kind of money my way for this kind of stuff. I don't have anyone handing me guns. Uh, I don't have any, any kind of income other than my own checkbook. And, uh, that's the main reason I, I didn't buy one of those, uh, you know, and plus it, it's kind of hard for me to, in my own mind, justify, and this is just me, just me guys, justify spending, you know, a thousand plus on a gun that I'm going to go take and use and abuse. Granted that thousand dollars or, or whatever may benefit better because how it's made, it's, better made, better parts, better materials, etc. Yeah, they're kind of designed for that. But in my mind, you know, it that's still a big a big price tag for something that's that I don't know. I wouldn't take a Ferrari into a uh, demolition derby even if I could afford one. And that's kind of how I felt about that about what some of those, you know, really nice shotguns like Benelli uh, Beretta, Browning, all those. And so I ended up with this Charles Daly and it kind of served its purpose. It worked. I got it, uh, got it home, did a little breaking with it, um, shot some clays with it, used it for some dove hunting. Um, did okay for that. Uh, just two and three quarter or whatever dove load I was shooting. I want to say sixes, sevens, eights, something like that. Whatever, whatever the dove stuff was, I bought. Um, and, uh, it did okay with that. Uh, got a handful of doves and, um, yeah. So I, I patterned it with the, some ammunition that seemed to go well with it. Got a decent choke in it. And, um, it was really just trying to set myself up for a, a good season. Long story short, um, I can, I could dive into this whole gun thing later, but it ended up performing about as poorly as I had hated or, or dreaded it would. Uh, it worked great at first. Uh, I had one issue where it failed to feed around, got stuck in the tube and wouldn't the plunger, I guess, couldn't, couldn't push it, uh, ended up cleaning it out. It seemed to work okay after that. And then I had one opportunity, uh, with a couple of Merganzers where uh first shot was great there was uh two birds first shot was great bird down go for that second shot fails to feed clear the failure shoot 
shoot low, go for that third shot, failure to feed, and bird's gone. So it cost me an opportunity. Um, I may dig into that that shotgun, see see what I can do to get some performance out of it, see what I can do to to help it. You know, definitely, I cleaned it, tried all kinds of stuff. We'll see what happens. But that was uh, that was my experience with that, and. I was trying to uh, this whole duck hunting adventure that I've, I've, I've found myself on. I, uh, I've been trying to do it on a budget, you know, like I said, I'm a working man. Uh, I don't have sponsors and you know, you see it, it can be kind of disheartening at times when you see a lot of videos and podcasts and stuff. And these guys are throwing out these names of gear they have and decoys, you know, bibs, waiters, boats, engines, all this stuff, you know, you name it. There is an unlimited amount of money you can spend, it seems like, on really fancy stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it was really unrelatable because, like, man, that's not my budget. That's it. Yeah, that's something to attain, but it's not in my budget right now. So I had to do it how I could. And since since that kind of you know stuff wasn't in my budget, I guess just just um, for anyone listening who may find themselves in the same boat, uh, it's doable. Uh, don't get overwhelmed with the price tag of of thinking that it's going to cost all this money and you can't afford it and so on and so forth. Because if you're if you're thinking that and you really think that, then you probably shouldn't do it anyway. Um, if you want to achieve something, you can do it. It may not be easy. It may not come quickly. But that's the best stuff that doesn't come easy and doesn't come quickly. That's the most rewarding and most fulfilling thing you can do is taking the path less traveled. Um, but so and just a side note, that's kind of the, the, the goal of this whole podcast is to you know just talk about the stuff I'm doing. Uh, the goals I'm trying to achieve, the the hunting, the fishing, um, a lot of duck hunting and stuff like that, because I don't have a bankroll to go drop on stuff. I don't have, uh, basically, I'm a blue collar dude. I don't have a ton of money to go throw at things, but I also love hunting. I love fishing. And I love getting out there and, and pursuing game and enjoying nature. And it's not something that you have to have a ton of money to do. And if if you find yourself in that boat where you, you're wanting to get out there and do stuff or you're out there doing stuff and and you're a working class person, hey, welcome to the team. Um, that's kind of kind of where I'm at with this this whole thing is, you know, and there's nothing against any of those other podcasts or any of those other other uh, YouTube channels or whatever, what any other media where it seems like they just they they have a lot of money and that's how they're here. And don't get hung up on that. Go enjoy their shows. Learn a little bit. You know, they've got information you can learn from, you know, it, you know, just because you're not shooting the same gun they are doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. Uh, just because you're not wearing the Sitka gear like it seems everyone is, doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. Uh, the camo, you know, kind of back to my first year of hunting, the camo I used, I bought from a sportsman's guide. 
it was their guide gear. It sorry, it is their guide gear brand. Uh, I got a jacket that I think it has a removable liner. Uh, it's got oh, I can't remember which. I think it's oh man, some type of blade camo for the outer. Um, it's got lots of pockets. It's got shell holders. It's 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 pretty good, but you know it's not Sitka. Uh, but it kept me warm. It's waterproof. It it was great for me, and hundred uh, ish bucks, I think. Same with the uh, the waders I got. I got some neoprene waders from Sportsman's Guide. There's their guide gear brand, you know, um, quote unquote generic, if you will. They work great. Um, they had like the same camo pattern on the same like it, like the blades type, you know, camo on it, and they work great. They were almost too stinking warm to wear. Um, I, so in hindsight, I might be looking for something a little different this season because there was a handful of times out there where it was, it was cold, you know, not quite breaking ice or skim ice yet, but real close to it, real windy, you know, nasty, great duck, weather, duck hunting weather. And man, after, after setting decoys and stuff, I'm, I'm like panting like a Husky in, in Arizona in the middle of summer because they were just, they were, they were insulated great um now i took that into account later and then kind of i would uh when i started you know actually working stuff and and setting decoys out getting the boat set up all that stuff i would take my my coat off and um just get down to like uh not my base layer but like uh i usually i had a hoodie or something on under it i'd get down to that i'd unzip my waders and uh i'm not in the water uh doing this at least i wasn't this year uh, cause a lot of, a lot of spots I ended up, you can't wade, uh, because they're just, they're so, uh, the bottom is just not conducive to wading by any means you step in and God knows where you're going to stop. So, um, but I was wearing my waders for warmth and for launching and stuff like that. Uh, because the only other hunting camo gear I had was, uh, you know, like heavier bibs for deer hunting. Uh, they're water. Yeah, they have a waterproof exterior, but you know, they they you step in the water, you're going to get water up your leg and that kind of thing. So that's why, that's why I was rocking the, for this first season. And you know, it worked great. Like I said, it was a little, little too hot at times, but I'd rather be a little too hot than a little too cold. Um, you can always cool down when it's cool outside, but if you get chilled to the bone, you're not really going to warm up much at, until you get, you know, moving or you get to heater or you get to, you know, you get out of the elements. So, um, yeah, so a little, that was a little bit about my shotgun. I, I kind of dove into the, uh, the, uh, camo that I had, um, usually with my camo, um, even with, even with deer hunting, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go crazy and buy expensive stuff. Um, with deer hunting, I stuck with real tree for years just because that was pretty much the most available thing you could find, uh, other than like mossy oak bottomland, um, for years. So I just kind of stuck with it and I've had, I've had the same camo for, for a long time. I think, I think a couple seasons ago I upgraded and basically by upgrading, I mean, I bought a new that was actually still waterproof, but that's it. Um, but for like my base layer, I usually wear like a t-shirt, uh, a long sleeve, like a black, cheap long sleeve you can get at walmart um then i'll wear like a, a black hoodie you know 
plain old hoodie, nothing on it. Um, and then like my jacket, coat, whatever, and then uh, bibs and stuff and boots. And that I, I did pretty much the same thing with uh, waterfowl gear. Um, and it worked out pretty good. So I got the boat. I got the gun. I got some camo. And, and there's a lot of ways you can do all of that cheaper, too. I'll get into that in a second. Second, sorry. Um, working on my pronunciation. Um, so the next step for me was, well, what about decoys? Because I didn't know anything about decoys other than the fact that, hey, there's different kinds of decoys. Some float, some don't. And the ones that float have a leader with an anchor. And that's about it. That's uh, that was the extent of my knowledge until I started diving into this, and um, I started uh, trying to just like with everything else, I was trying to learn as much as possible. So I was learning, okay, well, how the heck do you put these decoys out here? You know, what's 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 a good way to put these things out here to make it look attractive? You know, you don't just want them in a giant circle. You know, I knew there had to be a rhyme or reason to it, so I started learning about that. I started learning about um, how to set them in relation to where you're sitting, uh, how to set them and all that stuff. Learned about motion on, on the calmer days. Uh, fortunately, I didn't run into a lot of those out there. Uh, the days I ended up going were pretty, pretty breezy. Um, but I learned about jerk rigs. I learned about um, all kinds of stuff. And like my first attempt at a jerk rig, I took a piece of PVC. I, I painted it flat black with a little bit of that camo green, which, by the way, Rust-Oleum camo paints, they're they're pretty cool. You can use them for a lot of things. I think it's like $5.98 for a can at Walmart. Um, I used it to paint my boat, my new boat, that is. Um, I used it to uh, kind of blend my grass on my first duck boat, you know, adding a little bit of color here and there, just kind of... Uh, uh, overshooting it, really letting some overspray hit it, not really directly painting it, but adding a just a little bit of color here and there to the grass. So it didn't just look like dry grass. Um, and a lot of stuff like that, it, that stuff, I like it. It's affordable, it's accessible and it works pretty good. It's nice, flat color, no shine, no sheen. And, uh, yeah, so kind of a sidebar there. So if you're looking to camouflage something, you're looking to, you know, paint your gear um actually one thing i've been considering is is buying a black shotgun this coming seat for this coming season and then just camoing it myself because for some reason that camouflage costs a hundred plus dollars i know they got to pay royalties and and rights and all that stuff on it so i mean i get it there's cost and you got to pay pay to use someone's name and brand and all that i get it but if i'm going to save some money Shoot, like this, uh, the gun I was kind of, I'm kind of researching right now, and I don't know if I'll go with yet, but the EAA European American Arms, Gerson, Gerson, Gersan, whatever you want to call it, Gerson. Uh, it's a semi-automatic 12 gauge. It was mentioned in uh, the recent edition or the recent, um, um, the most recent um, Ducks Unlimited magazine. And they listed it on, uh, man, I think it was top 10 or pretty close to it of their their top picks for firearms for waterfowl this year. 
And the retail I found online, I think through Sportsman's Guide, if you have a membership, was four seventy nine for the camouflage one, and I think it was like three eighty nine for the black version. And so I'm I'm really interested in that gun. I've been doing research on it, but I also don't want to fall back into the same the same boat I was in before with buying a cheaper gun and ending up really regretting it and losing opportunities. But doing research on that, hitting up the YouTubes. If anyone out there uh, listening has has any experience with that gun whatsoever, uh, send me an email, something like that. Let me know. Uh, I'm definitely interested to hear. And if you if you don't mind sharing your experience. Um, uh, you know, I'll, if you reach out to me and, and want to share your experience with it, whether good, bad, whatever, uh, let me know. And maybe I'll throw that into the podcast. That way others can hear it too. Um, and try to make the best of the decisions. But so back to decoys, I, I had to learn, learn everything. It was, I was at ground zero. And so I started learning how to set them, where to put them, how to put them, all that stuff. Um, like I said, motion, all that stuff. Oh, sorry. Back to the jerk rig. Yeah, I got, I, sorry, I got on a rabbit trail about paint. Uh, it kills me. Anyway, I took a piece of PVC. It is about four and a half, five foot. I think it's inch and a half, just regular old PVC, nothing fancy. The cheapest stuff you can get at Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever. And um, I put an eye bolt in uh, through the PVC. And then I took some... Uh, I want to say it was contractor string. I, I don't know what they call this stuff. If you go to a hardware store, eventually in some aisle, you're going to find like these spools of string. And I call it contractor string. I don't know the, I don't know if there's an actual name for it or not. But uh, what a lot of people I've seen use it for, they use it for like marking out like a fence, where a fence row is going to go. Um, uh, I've seen people use it to, to mark out edges for like a concrete pad, stuff like that. And... Uh, I found some of that that was like a really dark green and it wasn't real shiny or anything like that. And I was like, Hey, that's perfect. So I took that string, tied it to the eye bolt, put some loops in it, you know, about every four foot, five foot, sort of like that. And gave myself about oh, 30 foot or so of, of slack. And I made my own jerk rig that way. So you drive that PVC down into the bottom. And I think I learned this from actually one of Bobby guys, uh, um, videos. I'm pretty sure that's, that's, that's who kind of, who I learned that from. So shout out to him. And, uh, then you take your, uh, your decoys, you hook it to that. Once, once your pole set, you run your line out, hook your decoys to it. And then, you know, you keep the end of it in the blind with you or in the boat or wherever you're at, wherever you're hiding. And you use that PVC as a spring. And so you pull on the rope, it pulls the PVC, pulls the decoys, you let it go. It springs back, pulls decoys the other way, puts motion in, into your decoys. Super cheap way to do it. And I'm sure you can do it with other materials. So anyone out there who's who's like me, who's new to it, and wants to you know try to get some motion in their decoys and stuff like that, just ask around if anyone's got like a five-foot chunk of PVC that you, know, you can have. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff you can use. Like I said, um, basically anything that's flexible but not too too flimsy um and actually what i'm going to try this year is a different style of jerk rig i uh i bought a uh, they call it a kayak anchor it's a folding kayak anchor i got it on amazon for 13 dollars, i think or so and uh just google folding kayak anchor it'll come up 
and uh, I bought one of those, and I got a bungee cord. I painted it flat black, painted the anchor flat black, painted the bungee cord flat black, uh, mostly because if it's in the boat or laying around or something like that, I don't want it to, I don't want bright colors or like a shiny anything. And um, I attached that bungee cord to the anchor, and then I'm going to take that same line I used for that PVC jerk, jerk rig, and I'm going to attach that to the bungee cord. That way I can throw that thing out, hook my decoys to it, get that anchor set. And once that anchor's set and it actually hooks onto something or sinks into the bottom or whatever, you can pull against that anchor and that bungee cord and the bungee cord will pull your decoys back and forth. So it's a little bit different style, but I mean, you can do that with a bungee cord and a brick. You know, you can do that with a bungee cord and a, a cinder block you know, anything heavy enough to kind of work as an anchor for decoys. It doesn't have to stop a boat. You know, you got an old dumbbell laying around, use that. You got, um, shoot an old floor jack that doesn't work. As long as you can get it out of the lake, man. I mean, maybe a floor jack's not the best idea because if you're leaking hydraulic oil into the, in the water, that's never good. But, uh, something that's, you know, smart, safe to use, um, shoot an old pulley, an old brake caliper, old, tire wheel something you know anything anything that'll work as an anchor strap a bungee cord to that you know get you a little bit of line so you can hook your decoys to it you know make sure you got enough line and, and length so your decoys aren't sinking but uh yeah just a little tip to put motion in so you don't have to go spend a ton of money um and honestly if you if you have a zero dollar budget right now just ask friends and family like hey you gotta you got an old center block you don't want I need it, need it for a project I'm trying for duck hunting. Or you, you got a bungee cord? Shoot, just look on the side of the road as you're driving back and forth to work. You, you, you probably find one, uh, but they're cheap. So if you need to, you know, if you don't want to ask anybody or anything like that, just, you know, they're pretty cheap. Go to Harbor Freight, save, save you some money. But so I ended up picking up some decoys off Marketplace. Um, I think most of them are old Flambeau. There's some, uh, there were some G&H in there and there were some, uh, we call them like magnums, the the big ducks, the big mallards, and uh, kind of a hodgepodge. I bought a, a lot pretty much off of uh, a guy here locally. I forget his name, but uh, I bought a lot off of him. I'm guessing he's, he ended up getting new decoys or got out of it one way or the other. But, oh, shoot, I think it was 75 bucks, And there was, man, there, there was more decoys than I could I could use. There was uh, the, the big old giant mesh backpack style decoy bags. There was two of those full. And then there was like a dozen or so extra that wouldn't fit in there. And um, some of them, some of them were not so bueno. Some of them were like the, uh, the harder rubber style. And I didn't really end up using them because they didn't look so good. There were some older inflatable ones in there that were, it looked like somebody tried to fill it with uh, expanding foam and they, they looked like they had tumors all over them. It was pretty rough. But for the most part, the ones I, I ended up using were the Flambeau ones. Um, I have no idea the model. They're definitely older. And I, I cleaned them up. I painted them up. Um, hit them with that uh, matte finish. All that good stuff. And and they, they serve their purpose. Uh, I don't know if they helped or hurt. I, I don't have enough data to pull from for that. Um, I painted some to look like some coots. Um, whether or not that's beneficial in my area, I have no idea. But I also painted some uh, some of the mallard hens to look like black ducks, and they actually they look pretty good. I think I screwed up on the color of the bill a little bit, but I'm not sure. Um, 
I don't know, but that's, that's what I was using. And I got a, uh, a one of those, uh, do it yourself leader kits. Um, I ordered it online. I'm not sure where from, but, uh, it just came with a spool of the like 500 pound mono, your crimps, uh, swivels, and then, uh, weights. And I think that was, oh, that's probably 50 bucks, 40 bucks, somewhere around there. Um, but I really liked them. You make your own Texas rigs. It worked out pretty good. Um, another, another kind of a funny learning curve is, um, out of the, the little sneak boat type setup I had, I, I never really thought about it too much until I needed it, but I didn't really think through the process of retrieving the decoys once, once I'm pulling my set until I realized, oh crap, I'm, I'm going to have to lean over this boat and pick every single one of these things up. And so I ended up making uh, like a little a hook out of a, uh, it was a telescoping paint handle. Um, you can find them at the paint section of pretty much anywhere. It looks like a broom handle, but it works like a shower curtain rod where you twist it, you twist it one way, you can extend it, twist it back and it tightens. I put a little hook out of some, I don't even know what it is, man. Uh, it's some sort of aluminum tubing that I had laying around. I made a little hook out of that and put that on the, you know, fasten that to the end of it. Oh, actually I do remember what that was. That was for, uh, <laughs> it was the loop part of a small hand net, a cheap small hand net that I got at Walmart. And, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's come back to me now. So side note, try not to get down the rabbit hole here, but I, uh, used to do spider rigging for crappie. And, um, if you don't know that, don't really know what that is. Check it out. It's pretty fascinating. It's trolling in front of your boat for crappie with jigs, long poles. Pretty cool. Um, good for, you know, warm season crappie. Anywho. So I taken that ex extendable paint handle and I took that uh, little hand net. It was like a $4 hand net I got at Walmart. Just a little aluminum frame. I mean, shoot, the mouth of this thing was probably eight inches across, something like that. And I stuck that on the end of it. I uh, removed the little screw and adapter thing for the paint, paint roller. Stuck that handle down in there, screwed it in. And that was my extension handle for uh, spider rigging. So I could, you know, get out there and scoop crappie. Because the poles I use, I think they're 12 footers for spider rigging, 12 or 14. So you got, you know, you got to be able to reach out there. But I wasn't, wasn't spider rigging or anything and I needed some of that. So I, I basically cut half that net off to make a hook on that thing. And I started using that to get my decoys out. Avery sells a pole. It's like an extendable gaff for retrieving your decoys. I think there's in the ballpark of 50 bucks. Um, I didn't know that at the time. Otherwise, I would have tried to probably buy one. But what I ended up using, it worked pretty darn good. It really did. And I I can't recall how much those extended extendable handle handle geez, handles geez extendable handles are at Walmart. But I guarantee they're cheaper than the Avery. So if you can if you can find some way to make a hook on there, and it doesn't have to be a giant hook, you just have to be able to grab your uh, your leader. I mean, that's really all you need or grab the neck of a decoy to get it close enough, something like that. Um, there's another option for you. Uh, and that made it a lot easier pulling decoys in versus trying to chase every single one down, lean over the boat, drive at the same time. It was, it was crazy.
but overall i'd say my first season was pretty good the decoys I, I i learned as i went got better as i went and i absolutely fell in love with it head over heels with waterfowl hunting it it was so much fun um i hunted solo i think i went on one hunt with a buddy and the rest of the time it was solo um so you know keep that in mind if you're not familiar with water um if you haven't been out in cold water before um go try to go with somebody you know that that'd probably help it help it go a lot easier a lot smoother um if i don't know just know your limitations and and know be honest about what you don't know and if you need help ask for it if you don't know ask um because especially late season in the northern areas if if you don't know what you're doing and you're just you're real gung-ho and 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 overconfident it's it's a recipe for disaster so be smart uh you can do it cheap and uh just if if you're interested in duck hunting ask get out there research it do it chase it and i will try my best to keep you guys posted in future podcasts about my learning curve my experience and all that good stuff and and how i progress as a waterfowl hunter in the future thanks for listening everybody Thanks again for listening. And if you guys could help me out tremendously, uh, please, you know, rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, share it, all that good stuff. I'm definitely trying to trying to get this thing rolling and trying to make a, a an outdoor podcast for hunting, fishing, all that good stuff for the average person. Um, as I said, the podcast you know, a lot of that stuff, it seems unattainable. It's great stuff. I love it. I, um, I enjoy it all, but I definitely want to find something that's relatable for everyone out there, um, who works nine to five or whatever it is, you know, early hours, you work for your money, you, you earn a living and maybe don't have the highest budget for hunting and fishing. So please, uh, subscribe, share all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next time.